It's Britney, bitch. Welcome back to Petty Astrology, an astrological variety show hosted by me, Casey Felton-Louis. This episode is part two of our conversation about the astrology of Britney Spears, so if you haven't heard the first episode yet, go on back and catch up. It was months later in 2004 where she actually married Kevin Federline, so they got engaged three months after meeting and then subsequently got married. So she got married twice in 2004, one of which was annulled, but her meeting Kevin Federline was also another thing that I remember the media losing their mind about. And he was a backup dancer at the time. He was considered kind of a nobody. And I think that that's why people were once again like, oh, Britney's marrying somebody that we don't know who it is. And then even more juicy was the fact that this guy had another kid and a kid on the way with an actress at the time. And apparently Britney didn't know about any of that. But They ended up getting married, but she said that she felt incredibly safe with Kevin. And it seems like she just really fell for him really hard and really fast. It is interesting, like how she says these things about like just falling head over heels. I think that is such a like childlike love that she has, where she just like will fall into the open arms of like, any man and I think that does go back to like not feeling good enough for her dad ever and so she's just playing out these cycles a little bit and these guys all fucking suck (laughs) yeah she speaks very kindly I feel like about Kevin Federline she talks about him holding her for as long as she wanted really and just this tenderness that he showed her Mm -hmm. and looking at his chart they're both Libra rising so I think that they have like a similar enough perspective on a lot of things that I can see why their dynamic was so intense so quickly. The only noticeable one I saw was his Mars is opposite her Venus. So so they were fucking. Yeah. They were fucking. <laughs> she was a you know, woman in her early 20s. She was partying. She's a Sagittarius. She's having fun. She's finding herself, especially with all that Sag she has in the Neptune and Sag and her getting epiphanies like while she's on these road trips with the Uranus and Sag. seems like the stuff with Kevin happened very quickly. I mean, there's no way around it. They got married very quickly. She did say that their wedding was a surprise wedding. It was an engagement party that people showed up to and then it ended up being a wedding. They didn't get legally married for a few weeks after that because the prenuptial agreement was still being worked out. Which I think is a really, I think that's really smart because considering how quickly they met, I think it's really smart for somebody who is at her level of success to get a prenuptial agreement. There's a lot of negativity around these things for whatever reason, but I'm like, thank God that she did that, right? Brittany, prior to this, had expressed that she would love nothing more to settle down and have a family. And, you know, that is a very traditional kind of perspective that she had. And, you know, she made it happen. So, you know, she is in her early 20s at this point, married, and then pretty quickly gets pregnant with her first child. And then almost immediately after gets pregnant again. So she's pretty much pregnant for like almost two years straight. And she did an interview with Matt Lauer during this time at her home. She's enormously pregnant. 
and she looks really cute, but she, like, it almost looks like she just, like, dressed herself in a a sense. She just looks very, like, regular, you know, and she says that she, like, loves taking care of the house. She was doing a lot of the cleaning and stuff like that all on her own in this big house that they built. Really enjoyed being a mother in a lot of ways. And she says that she was, for those two years, a terrible person to be around in a lot of ways because she was very hormonal and she was hugely pregnant. And I can't imagine being pregnant for that long in a row. So this was an interesting period of time for her. And meanwhile, she said that Kevin Federline was busy working on his own album and recording and smoking a lot of weed. And so she says that she just really had a lot on her plate and it sounds like she really didn't feel supported. This is another place where I feel like she could have gone a lot harder than she did, but I think that she has a lot of respect for Kevin, especially as the father of her children. So there's a lot of restraint in this narrative of hers, but she does say that she really didn't know that he had these children and another you know, situation that he was romantically involved with prior to hooking up with her or maybe in conjunction with hooking up with her. It's a little bit unclear, but she said she, she didn't know the full situation. By her accounts, you know, in the media reports, she was the one that filed for divorce. So that was kind of how it was framed. But she says in the book that it was really Kevin that wanted to be divorced. And she was told that he was going to file either way and that she might as well file. And so she felt that she was somewhat manipulated, it seemed like, into filing divorce instead of him. Because then she found herself on the hook for his legal bills and things like that, that she didn't really appreciate. And so this is kind of like a second step to this period of time where I think things escalated even more because we see Brittany really overwhelmed with parenthood and a marriage that had ended in probably not a great time. She had literally just two months prior had their second son. So, you know, a lot happening in a really short span of time for her. And I really can't even imagine what it's like to have two really small children and then find out that your husband really wants nothing to do with you anymore, even though he's been really distant and then have to file divorce and then find out that you have to pay his legal bills. And it's just a lot. And then meanwhile, you're Britney fucking Spears and everywhere you go, you've got paparazzi surrounding your car. If you've never had any experience with paparazzi, they are pretty aggressive in what they do because they make a lot of money doing what they do. So it's really not abnormal for them to surround your car. They'll say things to you to get a reaction so that they can get a photo or a video of you saying or doing something. It's a lot. And I can't imagine for somebody, Brittany herself says that social anxiety has been a big thing for her. And so for somebody that has anxiety that is going through a very public and ugly divorce with two small children and is also in her early 20s, I feel like this period is deeply overwhelming for her. She files for divorce at the end of 2006. And then in January of 2007, her aunt, who she was very close to, died of ovarian cancer. So it's just like one hit after another at this period of time. And so in February of 2007, shortly after her aunt passed away, She apparently goes into some treatment facilities. She's having a hard time. It was very public. And this was the time where she apparently left one of those facilities 
And shortly after, she showed up at a salon and very famously shaved all of her hair off. I was reading an article from back at that time because this was such a huge media moment. I can't even describe the media attention that this received. Yeah, this is like the big thing that I associated Britney Spears with for a long time. This was like huge. So she had apparently just been in and out of treatment facilities. My assumption with that is that she was seeking mental health support because of everything that she was going through. She apparently showed up at a salon and wanted them to shave her head and they were trying to kind of talk her out of it because I think they didn't know exactly what was going on and why she wanted to do this. And obviously it's Britney Spears and I, you know, nothing like this had ever happened in pop culture that I'm aware of. So they apparently tried to talk her out of it and she ended up taking the clippers and just going for it herself. And there's this image of her cutting her hair and you can see this little smile on her face. And that's the image that kind of sticks in my head because as much attention as this got and how she was painted as being crazy, really, it was kind of the vibe that they were putting the spin on the situation of literally, I mean, she she cut her hair. That's what happened is it was a haircut. And during that moment, the people that she interacted with said that she was obviously going through something. She was going through something. And then she went to a tattoo parlor. She got two tattoos. So she had a big day. She cut all her hair off, got some tattoos. It was a huge deal. I mean, the media was all over it, all over it. And the paparazzi just continued to be super aggressive with her. I find it really interesting that she chose to cut her hair off. She says that she decided to do it because she was so heavily controlled and, you know, the image was such an important thing. Actually, in those older interviews from this period of time, before this happened, she in passing mentions that her brother, who she's very close with, is always telling her that she's fat. And she says it in the interview just kind of like as a joke, but she's she's being serious about like her brother always telling her that she's fat. But at that period of time, that wasn't something that people really thought twice about because nobody questions it. It's just kind of, haha, your brother is always telling you that you're fat. So you can see why there's all these people that are making money off of her, wanting her to work and present herself in a certain way. Why somebody that is going through a period of time where paparazzi are hounding her for everything that she's doing and her life is falling apart from, you know, an outside perspective. And so she decides to shave her head as this kind of act of rebellion, she says. And it is so controversial. It it does upset people. People are saying that she's lost her mind, that she needs psychological help. And there's really not a lot of compassion that I remember from this period of time. I remember it being kind of a joke. And the way that people responded to it was kind of a joke. On a metaphysical level, I was thinking about how hair holds a lot of energy. And so this act of, you know, even if it was impulsive, even if it was the product of her experiencing depression or whatever it was that she was experiencing, she makes this dramatic physical change to herself. And, you know, it is a release of energy of some kind. And so I could see how it could be cathartic for her. Obviously, I don't think it did what maybe she hoped it would in terms of like getting people to maybe leave her alone or give her more agency. From an outside perspective, it seemed like it kind of escalated things because it was like even she was even more it was like a freak show. Yeah. And that's how people were portraying it. And 
hearing her account of it, I don't feel that that's what it was at all. And I feel like this was a moment for people to have a lot more compassion for her. And that is not what she got. Yeah, it seemed like she was going through like a spiritual awakening at this time with all of the pain she was going through. Like Jupiter was conjunct her son during this time. So it was just like a big focus on in Sagittarius. So it's just like she's on this quest and then she has a Taurus eighth house and her hair was how she made money, like her appearance. So she was taking her power back by removing that as a way to like get back at the people that were controlling her and see that as kind of like you were saying, like the spiritual awakening or like metaphysical side of it. She was trying to release herself from that. And then that backlash from the people that were around her was just so intense. Like the media spin that they put on that to grab this power over her life was crazy. Looking back on it. We can't forget that this is a pattern in her family. Her grandfather was a police officer and used the mental health system to get at her grandmother. And I think that's why she talked about that in the beginning of the book, because she sees this connection there and she's not saying it outright. (laughs) But it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's a really good example of this kind of thing that happens to people all the time. And the fact that it can happen to her when she's this big star and she's going through something that's really hard and people are hounding her because she is this big money-making machine for them. A lot of people were getting rich off of it. I saw some footage that had comments from paparazzi that used to follow her around and they were laughing. They were like, it's the Britney economy. You know, people can get so much money from these photos that they get of her. So they're really incentivized to chase her around. There was footage I watched from this period of time where she is driving her car in the middle of the street and paparazzi on foot swarm around her car, which is a very scary thing to do, especially here in Los Angeles, where there's just like the traffic is notoriously bad. Driving here is already scary enough. And then to be swarmed with people around. She also had an incident where a paparazzi, I think she ran over their foot because they do things like this and she had to pay a bunch of money. But there's no accountability really on the paparazzi side. It's kind of egregious how out of control this issue has been. And I think Britney Spears' experience is one of the prime examples of that because it was just relentless. This was also the period of time where she had a couple of other paparazzi incidences I think that the year before was that famous photo where she was leaving somewhere and the paparazzi were surrounding the car. So she got in the car and she had her son on her lap who, you know, he was a child. So he was like unrestrained. She got a lot of criticism for that. And so once all of this other stuff starts going down, she shaved her head, got tattoos. Shortly after that, there was some issues surrounding the custody of her children. And then she also released a new album later that year. And that's when she had that really tough performance at the MTV Music Awards where she was not as prepared as she wanted to be. She was having issues with her hair and costuming, and she really felt like it was not one of her best performances. And critically, it was really made fun of for that. So, and and if you watch the performance, she looks really uncomfortable. You could tell that something is off. It's just not to her usual standards and what we know Britney Spears to be capable of. And so there's just a series of events where 
there's a lot of criticism coming her way almost relentlessly for all of 2007. And then at the end of 2007, she starts actually dating a paparazzo, which was super surprising considering how her relationship is with these mostly dudes that, you know, take pictures of her and make money off of it. So following that, in the beginning of 2008, she had this incident where she didn't turn her kids over to Kevin Federline when she was apparently supposed to. She describes this really heartbreaking incident where she locks herself in a room with her younger son because she's having issues. And so the child isn't turned over and it becomes a police issue. After that incident, she was actually hospitalized and taken out of her house on a gurney. And of course, the paparazzi were there. There's a lot of photos that you can see of this moment. And it's obvious that she's really distressed. When the police came, they claimed that she was under the influence of a unknown substance is what they said. And so they take her to the hospital. She was 5150, which is, if you're not familiar, is a psychiatric hold. So they kept her for about five days. And during that time, her custody was suspended and the courts turned around and placed her in a conservatorship under the care of her father at this time. So this was just like on the heels of all this other stuff that had happened the year prior. And then this stuff happens with her kid and Kevin Federline and suddenly she's being 5150. She claims that she was not using any substances at this time. She says that she did have a problem using and abusing Adderall for periods of time. And she did have times where she was going out and partying, but she says that she was always very sure that her kids were cared for and safe. Those two things she said didn't overlap. So she could not understand why she was even being institutionalized at that point because she said she didn't have any issue. I haven't seen anything substantive that she had a drug problem of any kind. Like I've never seen any evidence of that. I've seen a lot of speculation about that, but I've never seen any drug tests or anything like that that point to the fact that she had some kind of addiction, even though that at the time was very much in the air. Like people were really speculating a lot about that. And she, you know, was going out and partying from time to time. And there were photos of that. But as far as I know, like the things that they were saying about her, I haven't seen any evidence of it. So I'm inclined to believe her on that. I feel like all of these things that she's doing are things that normal people do, but we aren't followed by paparazzi. So the fact that these things are being documented and like brought out of her, like, I mean, I would be livid if someone was following me around constantly with a camera, having like that pressure of having to maintain some kind of appearance when people are trying to provoke you is just like poor Brittany. She talks about the criticism around her body after her pregnancy. Obviously, your body changes when you get pregnant, and then she's a mom. And she had already established prior to that point that she did a lot of the housekeeping stuff on her own. She lived in a big-ass house, too. So she was trying to do as much of the mothering in her mind as possible. She said she had a house cleaner come and help her because it was just too big. But like this interview that I saw with her, she was doing it all. She was like working, trying to maintain her career in some way and then also being a mother and she was leaving her house without makeup and being criticized for the way that she looked as a new mother it would be extremely annoying to have people in your face all the time and you're trying to like take care of your kids and do right by them and meanwhile people are telling you that you don't look pretty enough while you're doing it it was so relentless at that time it was so 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 relentless things are sexist now 
but this was 20 years ago and it was a lot worse. So she was just getting dragged from every place. She's institutionalized and then the courts put her under conservatorship with her father. And she says that she would have rather had a random person on the street be her conservator over her father, which is really strong words. The use of the conservatorship in this moment is interesting because, yeah, she's had a lot of stuff going on years leading up to this moment. But conservatorship, as she says in the book, is something that is used for people that can't even feed themselves. And yet she was one month after this incident on How I Met Your Mother doing a guest spot. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to put somebody that is capable of caring for themselves under a conservatorship like this and then sending them out to work like a horse. Yeah, it was so the amount of control that they exerted on her that her father exerted on her oh when he said i'm britney spears now oh this is disgusting honestly that was just horrible that that was allowed to happen that that judge appointed her father the abusive alcoholic against her objections because men know what's best for their family this like really sexist thing and they were really portraying her in the media as like hysteric you know it's like this old old story that plays out in her father's side of the family our mental health system is one that not too long ago if you didn't do your hair and makeup that was considered symptomatic of mental illness So for a system that is just, particularly I feel like with women, with people of color, anyone with a marginalized identity, the mental health system is not safe. Yeah, it's like a tool of control of those populations, of pacifying them, of giving them drugs that kind of, you know, make them easier to deal with. In the case of women is if you were outspoken, if you read too many books, if you were an annoyance to your husband, like anything, they could just lock you up and put you on drugs until you complied. Electroshock therapy, lobotomies. I mean, there's all kinds of horrific things if you look into the history of mental health that should be very alarming that something like this was allowed to happen to her because, again, she was obviously going through a difficult time. There was obviously a lot weighing on her, no doubt about it. But if every time somebody had a mental health crisis, their entire autonomy was given up. That's not really a culture that I want to be a part of. It's so incredibly dangerous and it puts such a burden on people to act in such a specific way and never have any problems or never show that they have any problems. It's very dangerous. And I think at the time, because of the way that the media had painted everything, it all felt very not a big deal. I don't specifically remember hearing this news about the conservatorship coming out. What I do remember was at the time that it felt like she was being portrayed as having some more care around her or something to that effect, like that that this was getting help or whatever it was that they, whatever they painted it as. Because I don't remember anyone making a big deal about the fact that she had been placed under a conservatorship. It seems like something that just happened to her. From that point on, she again, she starts working following year, her father got a restraining order against one of her former managers. 
And then the paparazzo that she was dating also received a restraining order. And then her attorney, who were accused by her father of conspiring to gain control of Spears' affairs. So there's some people that were heavily involved in Britney's life that were removed shortly after. While she's under the conservatorship, she did an enormous amount of work. She was on Glee. She had documentaries made about her hit albums. She was touring. She started dating her agent, who then became her boyfriend and later her fiance. At one point, he was actually named co-conservator along with her father. And she says in the book that that kind of killed the romance part of it because anybody that's in charge of your life is really not necessarily romantic. (laughs) She also was a judge on the X Factor. She had a Vegas residency, which was huge. She released perfumes and lingerie lines. That engagement to her former agent ended. During this period of time, she talks about the conservatorship and the lack of privacy she had, the lack of agency over her life at all. She says that she didn't even have a door. It's interesting because leading up to this book coming out, she had also released some audio just randomly on her Twitter that was later pulled down. But she did say in that audio that there was just a complete lack of privacy, that she was so heavily monitored that not only did she not have a door, but that people that were tasked with watching her would see her naked every day as she was like changing her clothes. Like that is the level that we're talking about of control in her life, according to what she said. She also talked about not being able to have you know agency over what she ate. She said that there was a year where she pretty much just ate chicken and canned vegetables the entire time and wasn't really allowed to eat much else. And talks about how there was this real focus on her appearance and her weight and working out. She says she kind of just went along with it because she was afraid and because she was repeatedly threatened with not being able to see her children. And it seems like that was a big pawn that was used in this whole situation. And it's particularly notable because this all started around custody stuff, right? So there was already a lot of scrutiny around her parenting and whether she should be allowed to have contact with her kids and things like that due to the things that were going on. So it seems like a very real threat that they would say, you know, there's a potential that you won't be able to see your kids. Like that is a really, that's like the trump card, I think, in this whole situation Mm -hmm. is that these kids were kind of the perfect weapon to use against her because it's really at this point, you know, she speaks very highly of motherhood in this book and she always has all of her discussion about being a mother and having her kids. She speaks so deeply lovingly that she would do anything to be able to see her kids. So we can see how powerful of a weapon that was just in keeping her controlled because they had something over her. I also watched a interview with an assistant that worked for the security company that was providing security services for the conservatorship for a really long time. And this assistant said that he was tasked with essentially putting like parental controls on her phone. But what it resulted as is that the people in charge of caring for her had access to everything on her phone. Her internet access was controlled heavily. Her communications were controlled heavily. Also, this assistant said that there was a recording device installed in her bedroom that was recording conversations with everybody, her friends, her family, her kids. So and by all accounts, by her account and by others' accounts, she 
was under an enormous level of control. And this was a conservatorship that lasted for 13 years. I knew this going into it, but when I was reading the book, I found myself just like bursting into tears at several points because I don't know if it was just like an energetic thing, but I felt such grief over what she had lost because 13 years is a really, really long time to be under other people's thumb to that degree. And I really can't imagine what that does to someone who is already struggling with their mental health, with not having maybe the right people around them to trust, not having the right kind of support for being painted as crazy or drug addicted when she said she was not. I think the most heartbreaking thing to me about the whole situation was that she wasn't able to make creative decisions in her work anymore. It was just she had to do this and she was so like beaten down. I think at that point that she was just like, whatever, like I just want to be able to see my kids. I don't care because the amount of force that was put upon her was so great. Like her whole life. (laughs) Yeah. And she was just going through it. She didn't have the strength to fight back at that time. I mean, you're just going through this grieving process of all the stuff that she's gone through. She had already at this point been working so much before she started her family. And then that adds so much more to someone's plate. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Like it doesn't feel like there was any stopping point for any kind of real healing or normalcy or adjustment. It just seems like she just kept going, going, going. And so once this conservatorship rolls around, she says that she would basically wake up and ask what they were doing that day and just kind of do it. I think that speaks to her work ethic in a sense that she was able for so long to kind of just lean into that work mode that she had become so used to in a way and just kind of relinquish that control because she says that she had to. She didn't see a way out. The lawyer that was appointed to her by the courts was not even really advocating for her or listening to her, didn't even seem to take her very seriously according to what she said. And she said that she wasn't aware that she was even allowed to choose her own lawyer at that point. Yeah, she had tried to, she had a lawyer at the start of when this was happening in like 2007. And then her father had filed that, no, she's not mentally fit to pick her own lawyer. So we're going to appoint this one for you. And that got approved somehow. And she was paying this guy like $15,000 just like the whole time as his retainer for keeping her in this situation. The whole thing was just sick and twisted. And the amount that her family was profiting off of her doing this work, doing the Vegas residency, pumping out these albums. Oh my God, that poor woman. You know, as I was reading this, I, you know, it occurred, I was like, this is, this is slave. This is what slavery is. People have no agency over their life and all they are expected to do is work and provide profit. And, Even though this woman was enormously wealthy, she apparently had no access to her money. She said that there were periods of time where she tried to take her backup dancers out to dinner to thank them after tour and her card declined because she didn't even have control over her own wealth. So at that point, it's like, what are you then? It's dehumanizing. Researching this podcast, listening to all these interviews with her, listening to her book, 
I felt like over and over again, I kept hearing that Aquarius moon so loudly. She just kind of wants to be treated like a human being. And I just kept hearing her say that I'm not being treated like a human being. This is not right to do to people about all sorts of different things in her life. And it's just this reoccurring, like, this is not something that should happen to a human being. And, you know, the way that paparazzi treated her, she said it was dehumanizing. I can only imagine for somebody with this chart, I mean, she's a Sagittarius, she's got an Aquarius moon. This is somebody that in a lot of ways needs freedom. And of course, this should not happen to anyone, but it's particularly tragic that it happened to someone that really benefited from having agency. This is not somebody that I think likes to be told what to do necessarily. And I think she even said herself that up until this point in her career, she had maybe said yes to things that she didn't necessarily want to do. And she had tried to be very fair. And I think, again, that's that Libra rising, you know, trying to show up for people, trying to be a team player, really. And I think that over the course of this experience, it really seems like the conservatorship changed Brittany on a really deep level, not only just like in terms of her psychological experience, She also talks about, you know, she's not allowed to see certain people, like even the people that she communicates with are controlled. And she says people, you know, kind of dropped out of her life and, you know, she wasn't allowed to see certain people anymore. And I would imagine that that gives somebody a lot of time to research and reflect and write and take in a lot of things. So I almost feel like this period of time maybe was a period where she educated herself in some way because it feels like she came out of this experience not only with the wisdom of having gone through such a terrible experience but it feels like she really dug deep you know I'm imagining that she probably had more time to do things like read and research than she had in previous periods of her life so I feel like on that level too I feel like there was a a change in Britney Spears because prior to that, even like her high school education had been done revolving around her work. You know, it was not something that she ever had a lot of time for. And again, she's got Sagittarius third house with the sun, Mercury and Uranus and Neptune in there. I just feel like this is somebody that loves to learn and take in information and play with different ideas and maybe didn't have the opportunity to do that as much working as much as she did. I suspect that she got to indulge that part of herself more during this experience and probably had to in a lot of ways to get herself out of the situation, empower herself. She talks quite openly about the sexism that she faced at different points in her career. And it just seems like there's a lot of clarity about her experience and the cultural context that it happened in. And there's a real maturity to it. And so just, I think it's interesting to think about what her life was like as she's working, you know, what was she doing in her downtime and how that might've shaped her? Because it's like, it's kind of like being in prison in a way, you know, one thing I've observed is a lot of people that go to prison and serve these long sentences, like 13 years, there's an education that can happen as a result of, you know, this long periods of isolation. And I suspect that that might've happened with Brittany in some regard. During this whole period of time, She did meet her future husband, Sam, filming the music video for Slumber Party. She was still contracted to do that Vegas residency, 
at the time, but it was in January 2019 where she announced an indefinite hiatus and cancellation of her residency. And it was said that it was due to her father having health issues. At a certain point in that recording that she released and then later deleted, she did say that that Vegas residency, she was told to announce on her social media that the residency was ending due to issues with her father's health. And then she was forced into a psychiatric facility. And it was reported that it was because of the stress due to her father's illness. But in the background, she has said that it was not at all about that. And that this was another instance of them forcing her to be institutionalized, which they did at several points over the course of this conservatorship. She was institutionalized she says for no reason. It was one of the times she said that she was taking energy supplements that somebody had introduced her to. And her father really didn't like that she was taking these supplements, even though they were over the counter and thought she had a problem with them. She said that he used that to institutionalize her. So in this recording, she says they were rehearsing and there was a dance move that she didn't really like. And so she said, Hey, I don't want to do this dance move. And it was responded to strangely, like people got really quiet. And then she said next thing that she knew she was being institutionalized for essentially pushing back, which she said was mildly. She said she didn't make a scene. It was just, I don't want to do this dance move. Can we do something else? And suddenly she's being institutionalized again. So it was like they would use these facilities as punishment for her because when she would go into these facilities, she would no longer be able to see her kids. She was under an even greater level of control in these facilities because if you go into a, a rehab or a psychiatric program, usually they take your phone away. You're not in contact with the outside world. It's very isolating. And she says it was very traumatic, some of these experiences, because she was around people that did have these very serious substance abuse problems. And she said she did not. She was forced to go to AA multiple times a week. She had a very strict routine. So she was like going to AA and going to rehab. She said not having any substance abuse problems, but meeting people that really did. And she said AA was really good for her because she met all these wonderful women that really inspired her in a lot of ways, even though she wasn't dealing with the same issues that they were. So it's repeated over and over that a lot of these incidents were about control for her. So this continuation of using these institutions as a way to keep her in line, it's really heartbreaking how that was used against her. At the end of the book, you know, she makes it very clear that she has a lot of healing to do from this experience and from the traumas that she has endured over the years. And there's been a lot of speculation, like after the conservatorship was ended, if she was still in need of support in some way, mental health support. It's a shame that all of this was done to her, that these institutions were used against her, because I would think that in that position... For somebody who's had these things used against them so heavily, like her seeking the help and support she needs is going to be even harder now because there's a loss of trust in this system, I think, because she's seen the way that it can be manipulated. So my heart breaks for her in that sense, because I feel like so much was taken away from her in how this was done. But after she was institutionalized, after this Vegas residency was supposedly ended due to her father's health issues, a podcast released a voicemail from a source who claimed to be somebody that used to be on her legal team. And in that voicemail, there was a claim that Britney Spears's father had, <laughs> it's funny to refer to him as Britney Spears's father. Britney Spears's father had canceled the residency because Britney had refused to take her medication. 
and that she had been put in a facility and was being held against her will. They also claimed that her conservatorship was supposed to have ended in 2009. And that is actually what sparked the Free Britney movement. That set it off was this voicemail. From what I remember, people really started looking into her social media and it was being heavily scrutinized about the fact that people didn't really feel like it was true to her in a lot of ways. And there was a lot of like, is this a hidden message? And there was a lot of attention around her social media. And that's when I remember the speculations really starting about if she was in a really bad situation, a worse situation than I think people ever imagined. And that really started the pressure, I think, that kind of ultimately led to this conservatorship being ended. So her father has been reported as calling the Free Whitney movement full of conspiracy theorists, and the family has really denied the version of events that is them doing anything that would harm their daughter. I can certainly see how parents with a specific orientation and relationship to their very famous daughter might think that they were doing the right thing for her. But it certainly does leave a lot of questions about how this all came about. Brittany has said that she suspects that this was something that was planned out and implemented intentionally. And because of the swiftness of how this happened, I, I certainly don't think that that is out of the realm of possibility. And for how long it went on and for who benefited from it, it certainly does not look good for the people that got enormously rich off of this. And, you know, we have a lot of verification of fact that she was heavily controlled. Even the people that were working around her early on didn't necessarily know exactly how controlled she was, but there have been interviews and things that people have said in retrospect that they can see. It was much worse than I think people thought. And I think when people started comparing notes, it became very clear that this was a much bigger issue. Finally, Brittany was able to get herself a real lawyer that was actually advocating for her. She was able to get out of the conservatorship. So the conservatorship ended on November 12th of 2021. There has been a lot of judgment of her since then. She was offered enormous amounts of money to do sit-down interviews with people like Oprah, you know, to talk about this experience. And she has said that that didn't really feel right to her. She was also not ready to necessarily talk about it. And she talks about throughout this conservatorship, the fact that she didn't want to seem crazy or she felt that people didn't believe her. And she said, because people around her that cared about her weren't doing anything about it, she didn't feel that anybody would care. I see why she made that assessment because the world had really diminished her in a lot of ways. And really paved the way for a lot of this to be, you know, validated, I think, by the court system. Yeah, and you have to remember her experience that she's had with the media before going on an interview with someone big after she's gone through something so traumatic and hasn't had time to heal. Generally, they're not very nice. So I wouldn't be surprised because of all of those experiences with people just hounding her when she was younger. And she wasn't really able to be connected to the outside world so she didn't know all of the progress that's been made people's mental health and like people understanding that people struggle and she just needed to take some time to herself like i don't think that's too crazy she needs some time to recover after she's been told what to do for so long stop pressuring her <laughs> i remember once the conservatorship ended and then she continued to make social media posts that people found odd that 
there was speculation about whether or not the conservatorship had actually been the right thing. And that I found to be really upsetting (laughs) to hear that people would suggest like, oh, this horrible thing that we just found out happened actually maybe was a good idea because Britney Spears is being a little weird on Instagram. I'm like, that is a really huge leap. And I think really speaks to the culture. I mean, you know, in certain ways, things have changed a lot and other ways, maybe not as much. I think the funny thing about Britney Spears is, yes, she's got that beautiful Libra rising. She is a very physically beautiful person in a very idyllic kind of girl next door American way. But at the same time, she does have this Aquarius moon. She's got Aquarius fifth house. I feel like she just is kind of a weirdo. And I say that as a weirdo myself. I say that with a lot of love. Yeah, proud weirdos here. I think she marches to the beat of her own drum in a lot of ways. And I can see from where she comes from that that might have not really been as acceptable in certain ways. She's a really goofy person. I think a lot of people look at her Instagram and they think that her being kind of silly and weird is mental illness. I'm not saying that there aren't things that she, I don't know what, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, you know, I don't know her on a personal level, so I can't speak to what she is going through in terms of her mental health. But what I can say is that I think it's a problem when people who color outside of the lines and are just kind of eccentric are painted as people that need intervention. Mm. Because what I see is I see a very silly, goofy person who likes to be silly, goofy. And actually, I think she kind of likes to mess with people a bit. She is a Sagittarius. And I think people miss that a lot. I think actually it kind of goes right over people's head. And I think it is because she is, you know, pretty. And you know what I mean? Like, I do think that that is, that that you shouldn't act like that. You can't be, you know, a weird girl if you're like this beautiful pop star or whatever. You know, like, I think that it is actually that simple in certain ways. Yeah. And the way that people characterize the way that she speaks when she's on social media, it's like you have to read it with a Southern accent. There's someone on TikTok that like will read her her posts in a Southern accent with with the facial expressions. And it's just like she's just being, you know, she's saying the truth, but it's in her <laughs> in that like speaking around it sort of way that they do. She is just a Southern girl. She did also talk about an incident where she was speaking to a doctor and I think she said something in a British accent which she talked about how she likes a British accent because her very posh grandmother was English and so she fell in love with the accent she said something in an English accent to a doctor and I believe that that was used as evidence of mental illness and it's funny because as I was doing all this research I noticed that with that Sag third house, she does like speaking in other accents and she, she will just do it like randomly. She just like throw on a different accent. And I think it's just like funny to her. Like she just is silly like that. Granted, I understand that it's probably not the best place to be silly goofy is with a doctor. And I bet she learned her lesson after that. But I don't think that that is a sign of mental illness, you know? I do feel like obviously she has healing that needs to happen. And I really hope that she is well-resourced in that area, that she's well-supported, that she is getting the care she needs because this is a lot of stuff that she has lived through and stuff that many of us can't even imagine. I sincerely hope that she's taking care of herself and being well-cared for in that regard. But 
I think let Britney be weird, like let Britney be herself, because that is really the crux of all this is that she has been so heavily controlled up to this point. I think the number one thing that she needs for her mental health is, is freedom. Yeah, that's really my hope for her now is that she's just able to fall in love with creating things again and not having it be this big thing because she does have such a love for that. Like her whole life, she was a child when she started performing. She just, that's who she is. And I mean, to recover from that level of control, she needs to take that back. And I think she has been. She talked about it at the end of the book, how she's been enjoying just creating things just dancing on her own and i hope that she continues to do that and that people shouldn't pressure her to put something out because she really needs to be able to take that time to heal because she was never given that and the things that she would create after if she chooses to create anything will be really amazing i think that she will eventually i think people need to leave her the fuck alone (laughs) for a little bit amen i totally agree i'm very much looking forward to whatever her next chapter is because we know that Brittany is very creative very talented and she's a weirdo I don't know I just feel like now that she's freed from this horrible chapter in her life and all of the lessons that have come with it and all the wisdom that has been really hard-earned I think that she is going to be more liberated than ever before whatever her next thing is that it'll be really empowering and incredible. It's interesting because Pluto is in her fourth house right now and has been there for most of the time this conservatorship was happening. And her fifth house starts at four degrees of Aquarius. So I think that once Pluto hits that fifth house, I'm going to be looking at what creative projects she might be doing at that point. Even if it is just Instagram videos, like I, again, I don't think that anybody has any right to tell Britney Spears what to do next, but I just know that she's got more in her, whether it's just for herself or whether she decides to share it with us, that's up to her, but we'll be keeping an eye on what's going on with Pluto in the next few years because I just feel like something really incredible could happen. And Pluto has been her friend in the past. Yes. Well, and yeah, even in her book, she says that Just like posting those videos of her dancing and trying on clothes is what makes her happy. It's just like she has this freedom to express herself how she wants now. And the fact that people are still like judging her is really like, I'm just glad this book came out because hopefully it's shining a light on who she really is, you know, and I hope she does continue to embrace her weirdo and own it. It'll be really cool to see. We are here for Weirdo Britney Spears. We support it. We support yes, whatever she's got. I'm into it. I just hope she has some like real people around her because just from her book, it felt like she has not had like a real person in her life for a long time. And people that were, it's kind of like they were pushed away. So I do hope she has some like grounded, strong, foundational people that, you know, her Capricorn Venus needs. That is, I think, the great tragedy of this whole thing is that that fourth house Venus, she really would love to have a great relationship with her family. And so the fact that she went through what she went through and now has such a complicated relationship with her immediate family is heartbreaking. 
for her. But what I will say about that is I also have a fourth house Venus and I've done the no contact thing before and I know how it goes. It's very difficult to do and to have conflict with family, but we get to choose our family. And I hope that Brittany has, you're right, like grounded, loving people that can be there for her in a world that is pretty determined to downplay her humanity, you know, the people that really see her for who she is and let her, let her be herself and keep her safe, you know, as safe as they can. So favorite Britney Spears song. Mine is I'm a slave for you. Slay. It's just that performance she did. Oh my God. She came out with the green and the, the snake. Yes. Iconic. It was so iconic. I love to watch the video of that performance. It's just so good. What about you, Mackenzie? This is hard for me. This is hard. I'm a Libra. I know. I know. It's so mean. I have a favorite song from each era, but when I was just sitting here, like the first song that popped in my head was Stronger, you know, just I'm stronger than yesterday. And I think she could use those lyrics. It's a great song. I also would have said Slave for You, but since Jen already said it, I really like Piece of Me because it was from this era where she was painted so dramatically and she was obviously going through a lot. And it's such a perfect and empowered response to the way that people were treating her. You know, it's so cheeky and irreverent for the whole situation. And that's something that I've always really loved about Britney Spears is that even though she's done kind of the girl next door thing, she has always had this kind of rebellious and in-your-face undertone that she's pulled up that I really appreciate. I think that song is like a really a great example of it. But honestly, so many bangers that we have to thank Britney Spears for. Really, truly. When you throw labels like crazy around, especially at someone who's been deemed a good girl gone bad, you have to ask who that really serves. In the 19th century, a woman being too independent was a sign of insanity. Anger, defying her husband, annoying her family, even reading too much were all symptoms that could land a woman in a straitjacket, sometimes for life. The thoughts and ideas that made that possible didn't just evaporate, and we can see evidence of that in Britney's own family history. That infamous 2007 photo of Britney shaving her head is iconic to me. It's a symbol of rebellion against a system and a culture that's willing to suck you dry for every last dime they can make off of you. For every criticism they can throw at you and your body and your outfits and your personal problems just because they can. Nobody should have to be perfect to be free. I see Brittany as a pretty private person, someone that needs her alone time and who'd rather not put it all out there. In fact, she said in the past that she wished she could be a performer without the fame that has cost her so dearly. So I see the act of writing this book and sharing such personal things as Brittany worrying less about the noise and instead owning the power of her voice in a way she's probably never allowed herself to before. Before we go, I want to share what's coming next for Petty Astrology. Next week, I'll be releasing the first episode of season two. Like I said, this is a variety show, so it'll be a little bit different. If you'd like to vote on podcast segments or submit your personal astrological or spiritual questions for me to answer on a future episode, you can join my Patreon for exclusive access. 
The link is in the show notes. In 2004, I'm also offering a monthly new moon manifesting circle where I'll translate the astrology of each new moon and show you how you can use it to manifest. Group energy can be really powerful in helping you manifest and spots are limited, so be sure to check that out on Patreon too. This episode was produced by Lori Rivers and sponsored by my patrons. Special thanks to Jen Russell and Mackenzie Wollenzine for the conversation. Yeah, fuck Justin Timberlake. (laughs) 